Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Okay, guys, I have so much to talk about today because I've been out of town this week and the excellent interviews that you heard over the past three days were pre-recorded, which means I haven't really been able to react to any of the news that has gone on in the last few days. And so, as you can imagine, I have a lot to say, but don't don't sleep on the interviews that we did this week because they were really good. Go back, listen to Mondays. That was Coach Kennedy. He's the guy in the center of the case that is being heard right now by the Supreme Court about praying in public schools. It wasn't even while school was going on. It was before and after football game. It's a crazy conversation. Do not listen to what Sharon says so says about this case. If you follow her, she's had a lot of snark and a lot of bias, which... I personally believe she always has and does, but in particular about that case, go listen at least to the other side of it. At least go listen to what he has to say, which of course that's going to come with its own bias, but you should have a well-rounded perspective of what's going on. And that does affect religious liberty for the rest of us, especially when it comes to coaches and teachers. So go back and listen to Monday's episode um, about that. And then Tuesday's episode, we were with Mr. Bob Woodson of the Woodson Center. There were some controversial things said in that conversation, whenever you're talking about race and we're talking about um, communities that we We are told and have problems that are only caused by white supremacy and systemic racism. Whenever you have conversations about agency or responsibility or other solutions to problems that these communities are facing, you're going to get some backlash. But Mr. Bob Woodson has been in this space for a very long time. And so definitely go listen to Tuesday's conversation, which was excellent because he's just a brilliant person whom I love and have learned a lot from. And then yesterday, we finally addressed some of the um, controversy surrounding John MacArthur and his church, Grace Community Church. We're talking about something that happened all the way back in 2004 that is really only now in the last couple of months being talked about. And we talked about Like what is true, what is not. There are many details that we don't know. And you guys have actually filled me in on some things that you guys learned uh, about uh, John MacArthur and the church and how that was dealt with, some of the things that we still don't know, some of the details that have been filled in. There have been um, there have been other people, other hosts, there have been some YouTubers who have talked about this, who have really dug into a lot of research. John Harris is one who has talked extensively about this. I kind of just gave my brief overview in saying I don't think that this is something that should be dismissed, any kind of allegation. And when we're talking about Um, abuse and how we lovingly deal with victims of abuse should be handled seriously and talked about in a way that I think is very reverent. I think that a lot of people on the reformed side missed the ball when it came to that. And then, um, yeah, on on the other end, though, we can't just assume things, bad things about pastors that you don't politically agree with. So there's more to be said about that. Maybe we'll talk more about that. We also talked a little bit about the Hillsong documentary yesterday, and uh, we also talked about some of the drama that's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. So again, go listen to that episode if you have not already. 
Um, all right. And then today, I just want to react to some of the things that have happened this week. We're going to talk about Elon Musk buying Twitter. I won't bore you with the same takes that you've heard over and over again from very smart analysts and wonderful analysts, but it's just been talked about so much. But I'll just give you a little bit of a reaction on that. And then I'll talk about Melissa Lucio and her execution being stayed, woman in the state of Texas who was convicted of murdering her two-year-old daughter. You guys know I have things to say about that. Um, and then we are going to talk about perhaps um, a couple other things that are going on. It just kind of depends on where we are time-wise um, after those two things. So first, let me just give you, let me give you a reaction of Elon Musk buying Twitter and what I think about that. Obviously, I think it's a good thing. And this is not, and let me, let me give you the, let me respond to something specifically that I'm hearing from conservative Christians that I haven't heard a lot of people address. When I posted about it, when I posted about Elon Musk buying Twitter and thinking that it was a good thing on Instagram, I got some comments from some of you who are concerned. You're concerned because you don't trust Elon. He is a part of this elite class of people, obviously. He's the richest person in the world. He has probably done some work with the World Economic Forum that we know is the author of this uh, ESG great reset world, but he has also spoken out against ESG. So let me just give him that point there. But there's concerns about his elitism. He has talked about, you know, putting microchips into people's brains that is actually something that he has talked about in the past. And as far as we know, he doesn't have any kind of um, God-centered worldview, or at least that we have seen. And so there are some concerns about how his secular ideology could affect Twitter and some people saying, you know, you shouldn't be looking at Elon Musk as some kind of savior. Here's what I'll say to all of that. I still think Elon Musk buying Twitter is better than the alternative. Like you realize that the people running Twitter before were godless progressives, right? And so now we have someone who is a secular libertarian who does not, that means that he doesn't agree with everything, obviously, that we say as uh, Christian conservatives, but at least he sets a higher premium on free speech, on not discriminating against people because of their political or religious positions that are articulated on social media. I don't think that anyone has seen Elon Musk as the savior of Western civilization, the savior of democracy or free speech. But look, there are a lot of people who we wouldn't expect to play an integral and positive role in protecting our freedoms that do. People that we don't regard as moral exemplars, we don't regard as some kind of Christ-like example of how we should live, that are nevertheless to be respected in the role that they play in protecting things like free speech. Donald Trump is one of those people. I think we would all acknowledge he doesn't have the same worldview that you and I do in a lot of ways. I don't think that he um, has the same regard for the inerrancy of scripture or human beings being made in the image of God or the sanctity of marriage and of human sexuality that we do. He certainly doesn't agree with us on a lot of things morally and theologically. And yet, I think we would argue, at least those of us who voted for Trump, that he played an important role in helping the country policy-wise. 
And so I think the same can be said of Elon Musk. There's a lot of things that he has said. There's a lot of things that he has probably done that we don't agree with, that we don't like. We don't look to him as our savior. That's not the role that he's playing here. He's buying Twitter. Okay, like there are a lot more consequential things, honestly, going on in the world than that. But it's an important thing because I think that it protects um, it protects this uh, this very crucial aspect of democracy. When I say democracy, I truly I truly mean like the the will of the people. I'm not talking about what leftists mean when they say democracy, which is basically whatever they like, no matter how authoritarian it is. Um, He is protecting public dialogue. He is protecting the free exchange of ideas. Do I think that this is going to be a difficult task, though, for him? Yes. I don't think that it's going to suddenly be, wow, Twitter is this wonderful, awesome place. Because look, let's just put something out there. Censorship, if you want to call it that, of some sort is actually necessary. It's, it's necessary because we do not want all speech on that platform. We don't. Do you want child pornography on Twitter? Uh, no. Do you want? I don't think there should be any pornography on Twitter. There is. Unfortunately, that is something that is allowed on Twitter. But do you want child exploitation on there? Do you want doxing to be allowed? Do you want there to be? And I don't know the question necessarily or the answer to this question necessarily for everyone. But if there are truly targeted campaigns of harassment, pushing someone to um, commit suicide or something like that, someone say they create 100 accounts and a bunch of anonymous people go after one person because of some kind of characteristic and push them to hurt themselves. Like, do you think that should be allowed? Look, censorship of some sort is necessary for the platform to be a place where people can go safely. And when I say safely, I'm talking about literal safety. Like I'm talking about literal physical safety. So I don't think doxing should be allowed. I don't think those kinds of harassment campaigns should be allowed. I'm not talking about someone being ratioed or being criticized because of something that they have. I'm not even talking about someone saying something mean to someone that they should be kicked off. Um, But like, I do think that you have to look at like what is actually harmful, Um, actually harmful, not the left wing ideological idea of harmful, which is that saying that a man is a man is harmful and pushes people towards suicide. That's just a manipulation ideological tactic. That's not real. That's just something that they say to silence people whose ideas and words that they don't like. Um, And so I think Elon Musk, though, I do think he's up to the task. He's already talked about the fact that when he says free speech, he is saying that he doesn't want to censor things that are not protected under the law. So, of course, that means that there will be censorship of things like child sex abuse material. Um, And hopefully that there would be censorship of things like doxing someone, posting private information about a person. But there should not. Um, I think no matter what the law says, but of course, you know, there's conversations about that. um, There should not be any punishment for someone saying that a man is a man. Um, As Joe Rogan has brought up, you are then contradicting biology, which makes it ideology. And so censoring someone based on their ideological position or just their real position when it comes to what a man is or what a woman is, um, that's wrong. And I think Elon Musk understands that. Jack, who used to run Twitter, he recently stepped down. He has said he has endorsed Elon Musk on Twitter and said that he believes that Elon Musk is the singular solution 
for this. And since Elon Musk bought Twitter, there seems to be already some algorithm changes. There are accounts that have now gained thousands, tens of thousands, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of followers that have their account, their follower account has been stalled for a long time. I honestly don't spend that much time on Twitter. So I have gained some followers in the past couple of days, but I really don't care. I don't, I don't really notice that kind of thing because I'm just not on Twitter quite as much, but changes seem to be afoot. Positive changes seem to be afoot, but it's not going to be as straightforward and as easy, I think, as a lot of people who are just saying free speech are saying. There is some speech that you don't want on platforms. There is such thing as real actual harm. There are real actual threats. There are some things that simply shouldn't be able to circulate some things. Um, The question has always been, who gets to define that? Who gets to define harm? And so far, um, because Twitter is run by left-wing ideologues, according to Vox, the donations of the... um, of the employees, more than 98% went to Democrats. And so like we know the ideology of those of those uh, of those employees. So the question is who gets to decide what harm means? Who gets to decide what speech should actually be circulating? You can't not take anything off of the platform. So it's going to be tricky. It's going to be a little um, complex, but I am very positive about it. I am very positive about it. I think that this is a good thing. I think it's good that we have someone who is more, I'm not a libertarian, but more libertarian minded. Um, who's taking this over. He's already said, for example, it was incredibly inappropriate for Twitter to suspend the account of the New York Post when they published a factual story, a factual story about Hunter Biden right before the election. That was incredibly inappropriate. There are lots of things, shadow banning that Twitter does. Oh my gosh, there was this crazy clip of Ari Mebler, I think that's his name, on Twitter. And I just thought of this, so I, I don't have it right in front of me, but he was on MSNBC and he was talking about, oh, the scary things that might happen if if Elon Musk, when Elon Musk take over, takes over Twitter and he says, you know, it might be something where secretly you'd never know, but the algorithms will just inhibit the reach, turn down the reach of some people of some political persuasion or might try to limit the reach of a particular candidate that they don't like. You might never know that the algorithms are working against you as a progressive person on Twitter. That's the scary part that we are facing right now if Elon Musk takes over Twitter. And it's hilarious because that's what conservatives have been saying are happening for literally years. And the left has just laughed at us and said, that's a conspiracy theory. There's no such thing as shadow banning. There's no such thing as any kind of like algorithmic bias that's happening behind the scenes. You're just terrible. It has nothing to do with the ideology of people of people at Twitter. And now they're saying the same things. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's just like the crazy, crazy reactions to people over this. Let me read you some some of those reactions. One of them is uh, by someone named Tim Wise, and he articulates something that I've heard in a, in a variety of ways on Twitter from these left-wingers who are so worried about this. He's some kind of blue check mark. I don't know who he is. He says, F, Elon Musk, apartheid baby, you, your company, and everyone who stands for you. I'm saying this on your platform now, and we'll keep saying it. Let's see how committed you are to free speech when we start roasting your ASL. S. Well, 
he has already said, Elon Musk said that he hopes that all of his, even his greatest enemies, that they would stay on the platform because that's what free speech is about, which I think is a good sign. And But this is something that I keep seeing, apartheid baby. Okay, so because he was like alive in South Africa during the apartheid, like he had something to do with it because he happens to be white. I mean, that's kind of racist. And it's, you know what? It's very derogatory to say to the first African-American leader of Twitter. I don't know. Maybe these people are a little discriminatory. And then he also goes on to say, I mean, I mean this in the real sense. I am not trying to belittle mental health, but this is a psychopathic thing to say. Literally, we're going to have to deal with Nazis the way our grandparents did because Elon Musk is going to let them say whatever they want in the name of free speech. Oh, was that the problem with the Nazis, Tim Wise? They were saying things that hurt people's feelings. Is, is that is that why America fought the Nazis because they were because of free speech? You absolute idiot. I think it's OK for me to say that. Oh, and then I OK, I do want to I do want to bring this up because a lot of people are falling for this and I fell for this, too. So there was this person named Richard Hanania who said <laughs> it's funny. He said Elon Musk takes over Twitter. He's a billionaire who doesn't even have a master's degree. Is that who we are going to trust with the future of our democracy? And I mean, it just got ratioed into oblivion. And I think I quote tweeted it for a second and and said something, you know, along the lines of this is ridiculous. And then I started looking at the replies that he was giving to people. And I was like, oh, he's trolling. But I feel like almost no conservative realized that he was trolling because in our defense, people actually say stuff like this. The left is so obsessed with superficial credentialism. They use the argument from authority fallacy any chance that they can get. Oh, you don't know what a woman is. You're not a biologist. Um, of course, if a biologist does disagree with them on what a woman is, they would dismiss them out of hand, too. But that's how they kind of gatekeep just like l- basic observable logic. And they say, oh, you can't know something unless you have this particular credential. So it would seem that this person was being serious. But if you look at the replies, it's obvious that he is he really is just trolling. So if you happen to see that and you thought that it was serious, it's not serious He was just joking about that. But a lot of leftists, I think, actually think that way. I mean, this almost had, when I was looking at it, it almost had 10,000 likes. And so either that's by people who knew that he was joking or by people who actually thought, yeah, you really do need a master's degree um, in order to run Twitter. A lot of people, unfortunately, think that way. Um, And apparently, so like there's some leaked audio coming from employees of Twitter who are literally in tears over this. And Robert Reich, who is also just a crazy person, he wrote this article saying that um, just like authoritarians, and this is not satire. This is not satire. There's no irony because irony is always lost on leftists. He said that just like authoritarians, um, Elon Musk is a free speech absolutist. Yes, yes, Robert, that is exactly correct. You are you are right. The Chinese Communist Party is known for their free and wild Internet access, promotion of free and wild Internet access. They don't have any kind of restrictions in these kind of dictatorial companies on or countries on what people can access on the Internet. You're absolutely right. Every dictatorship, one of the characteristics is that they restrict the flow of information. They restrict people's right to free speech. They don't believe in a right to free speech. They restrict dissent. 
They push down narratives or they push down ideas. They push down words and thoughts that they don't like. Have you never read 1984? Was Big Brother known for everything that he allowed people to say and to see and to read? No, it was known by memory holding certain information, certain news stories. So you couldn't even remember what happened the next day. All you knew is what Big Brother was telling you that day, including how words changed and the definitions of um, the definitions of particular ideas and words were changed by the people who are in charge. And because everything previously had been uh, had been um, memory hold. You aren't able to even fully remember or argue against the new definition that you're being told. Of course, the Ministry of Truth in 1984 is in charge of all of this. And the Biden administration, in in congruence with a lot of these left-wing crazies on Twitter, they are setting up a form of Ministry of Truth, I guess, to combat the free speech that will now be so frighteningly, frighteningly allowed on places like Twitter. I'll get into that in just one second. Let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is a new sponsor, which I'm super excited about, and that is called Healthy Cell. Have you ever wondered if the vitamins that you're taking are actually working for you? More than 240 million Americans take supplements every day in pill form, but they usually don't get the promised results because they don't absorb, your body doesn't absorb the nutrients properly. So you end up taking a bunch of pills that aren't really doing the job. If you want supplements that actually absorb far better than the pills that you are taking, then you should check out Healthy Cell. It's an ingestible gel that not only tastes really good, it has 165% more absorption than pills. It uses a new technology called microgel to deliver maximum absorption. The old-fashioned tablets that you and I have been using, the capsules and powders, contain synthetic other ingredients that you are not really allowed to know about, and they're, they are not, uh, the companies are not forced to disclose. And if you've ever wondered what those are, they are glues, they're fillers, they're coatings that can actually irritate the lining of your stomach. But that's not the case with Healthy Cell. Their microgel suspends soluble, ultra-absorbable Uh, nutrient particles inside a natural gel made of gut healthy ingredients like soluble fiber, citrus, pectin, um, acacia gum, and water. It doesn't contain artificial sweeteners, flavorings, or colorings. It's even non-GMO, gluten-free, and vegetarian, so you got a win all around. You should check it out if you are looking for a better way to take your supplements and to get healthy. Go to healthycell.com slash Allie. Use code Allie for 20% off your first order. Uh, healthycell.com slash Allie. Use code Allie, A-L-L-I-E. Got to spell my name right for 20% off your first order. That's healthycell.com slash Allie. So the Biden administration has set up their own ministry of truth, the very Orwellian ministry of truth. The disinformation governance board Is that what it's called? Disinformation Governance Board, where they're going to have a board of unelected people try to combat disinformation. And actually, of course, we have already seen the White House admit through Jen Psaki that they are frequently working with these tech organizations to try to combat disinformation. Obama has been talking about this a lot over the past few days publicly about the problem of disinformation. What do they mean by disinformation? What do they mean 
They mean things that they don't like. That's what they mean by democracy. They mean authoritarianism that they like. All the people complaining about how being a free speech absolutist is somehow anti-democratic and somehow fascist and authoritarianist. It's just wild. All those people complaining about that when it comes to Elon Musk, of course, I am sure, support this disinformation governance board, which is an actual form of authoritarianism, which is actually much more totalitarian, much more tyrannical and dictatorial than anything that Donald Trump, anything that Ron DeSantis or Elon Musk has ever done. So just remember that, that when the left talks about the importance of democracy, they usually just mean authoritarianism that they like. And when they talk about authoritarianism, what they typically mean is a form of democracy and free speech that they don't like. You see how they kind of they they exchange those words without you even knowing. I mean, what they mean by a woman is also a man. And so that's why it's so important in the conversations and the discussions and debates that we have to define our terms. Well, what do you mean by a woman? Do you also are you including the word man in that? That's again goes back to what we've talked about about when inclusion, unfettered inclusion becomes toxic. Um what do you mean by democracy? Like, where are you getting that definition? That's how you engage in these kinds of conversations. They're afraid of free speech because of what we've talked about in the past. Obama, Biden, all progressives, they're afraid of free speech because progressivism, their insidious ideology is like mold and how it grows and how it takes over and how it devours institutions and makes the people inside of the institutions sick is by growing in the dark, growing without your knowledge. And so when light is shined on it, when it's found out, that's a problem. It's a problem for the mold. It's a problem for progressivism. It's allowed to grow. Um, it's allowed to grow in the dark. And so shining light on it, that's why they hate, you know, Christopher Rufo. That's why they hate libs of TikTok. That's why they hate Elon Musk. It's It's not really any kind of substantive or logical disagreement. It's not that they have they can't even like defend their positions they don't even try to do that they just try to threaten these people and bully them and intimidate them because they don't want the roots of their ideology what's really going on for example with the gender and sexual indoctrination that we're seeing of young people in school uh, they don't want that shown they just want you to feel like none of it's really happening that's the problem that they have with free speech and they, they also, they don't argue very well. They're not very logical in their positions. And so if you have the ability to say, well, you know, here's why a man is a man, or here's what abortion actually is, um, then you're going, like, that's going to be a problem for them because it shows the weakness of their position. And so that's what the freak out is all about. Yeah, I think that this is a good thing. I don't, it's such a straw man to say, oh, um, Elon Musk is, is some Christian conservatives. Elon Musk is not your savior. I'm, I don't see anyone saying that. I'm just saying that this is, um, I think it's a good, a good indicator for where things go. And let me say, I said this in two speeches over, over the weekend um, or over the past few days. Let me just say that this all, so this all started. Elon Musk buying Twitter started from the Babylon Bee making a joke, highlighting the fact that a man cannot be a woman. That's how this all started. And so let me just, let's, die, let's go back even further. This huge thing that I think is going to be really good for free speech and democracy and Western civilization. This all started from guys who started a satire account. They started it a few years ago 
I know them. They're great guys. They're just regular guys. They started telling jokes. They thought it was funny. It grew into this huge platform that ended up being, uh, Elon Musk ended up being a fan of them. It all started from those guys, those just Christian conservative guys saying something that was true, saying something that was unpopular. That, and then they got kicked off for it. They got kicked off Twitter. I guess that caught the attention of the richest man in the world, Elon Musk. And then he made a decision that really is going to change things, I think, for the better. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind when you are simply saying things that are true. When you are raising a respectful ruckus, you don't know what flap of the butterfly wing you are. Um, all right. And speaking of uh, speaking of talking about controversial things and saying things that actually matter, I want to talk a little bit more about this Melissa Lucio thing. I know you've heard me talk about it a lot, but I'm going to respond to some arguments, some other arguments that I've uh, been seeing and give you an update on what's going on there. Let me go ahead and tell you about our second sponsor for the day before we get into that, and that is My Patriot Supply. So I don't have to tell you guys that the the world is crazy. The world is crazy right now. It's unpredictable, especially with things like inflation and food shortages. And gosh, we haven't even talked about, which I want to talk about, these food processing plants that are being destroyed. Man, there's so much that we need to cover. The one thing that we know for sure, though, is that uncertainty is in our future. So you want to be prepared. It's better to be safe than sorry. You want to make sure that your food um, or that your family has a food supply on hand. So go to preparewithally.com. You'll find an amazing offer from America's largest preparedness company, My Patriot Supply. They specialize in long-term emergency food storage. Go to preparewithally.com. You'll save $150 on their three-month emergency food kit. Make sure that you get one for each member of your family. They've got a wide variety of very good and nutritious meals to order and save $150. Go to preparewithally.com. It will ship really quickly in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Go to preparewithally.com. That's preparewithally.com. All right. So you guys probably heard I talked about it on Instagram that on Monday, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals found that several of Lucio's lawyer's claims needed to be considered by a trial court. So that means that her execution was uh, uh, was stayed. So this is uh, was in uh, 11th hour stay for her. Um, I believe that her execution was originally scheduled on Wednesday. And if you have not listened to or watched the debate that I had with Texas State Rep Jeff Leach on this, I encourage you to do so. Uh, he has really been leading the charge against her execution. He has said multiple times that he believes her to be innocent. Now he has kind of gone, you'll hear in the in the conversation that we have, he will then, you know, he'll kind of hedge and say that he doesn't know if she's innocent, but he has said publicly many times that he believes that she is innocent. And in fact, the letter um, that he signed along with, I believe it was 82 other state representatives arguing that she should not be executed said that this was a crime, um, that she is innocent, said that she's innocent and um that they also believe, Jeff Leach has also mentioned that he believes that this is a crime that didn't actually happen. And so uh, her lawyers have been working on this for a very long time. As you guys already know, they have tried to appeal her case several times. And the courts of appeal have said decisively, 
actually, you know what? We think that she got a fair trial. We think that she got a fair trial from the beginning and that there's no reason to overturn her conviction or her sentencing. But the Innocence Project has taken up her case, as they so often do, and has rallied people in the media and has rallied people in the state legislature in Texas to try to get people to see um, from their perspective that she is innocent. There was also a Hulu documentary, Melissa versus Texas, where they argue that she was innocent, but they don't just say, hey, she's innocent of murdering her child. And this is my big beef with all of this that I'll get into a little bit is that they don't just say that. They say that there was no history of abuse, that she didn't abuse her child, that she was a good mom, but she just fell on hard times. And they tried to get us to see her as a victim of her circumstances, as a victim of some kind of racist and classist prosecution, that she didn't get a fair trial because she is a victim of sexual abuse and she was coerced into her confession by these investigators because she is a victim of sexual abuse and the history of a victim of sexual abuse of being a victim of sexual abuse made her take responsibility for something that she didn't actually, that she shouldn't have taken responsibility for. And they completely dismiss every other reason the jury decided to convict her. Um, They completely dismiss all of the other evidence. They make arguments on emotion. They are appealing to your emotion by giving you pieces of information that one, we don't actually know are true, like her history of sexual abuse, and two, that aren't really pertinent to whether or not she murdered her child. And then they come up with all of these other possible excuses that they just kind of plant into your head, um, whether or not they're true. Well, that, you know, maybe... Mariah, the daughter who was murdered by Melissa, uh, maybe she had some kind of maybe she had some kind of issue that caused her to bruise more easily. That's not actually proven to be true. Like maybe one of her siblings pushed her down the stairs. There's absolutely no evidence of that. Maybe, you know, maybe something else happened that it there that she didn't actually receive any abuse and the ER doctor and the coroner and the paramedic that they're all just colluding together in like so there's all kinds of assumptions and emotional arguments being made from that side. And that is my beef. Put aside for a second what you think about execution. Put aside for a second what you think about the death penalty, okay? We can have a debate over that. Maybe you don't think that she should be executed because you don't believe people should be executed in general. Okay, that's fine. Like, we can have a conversation about that if you think either the death penalty is unjust per se or if you just think in our system, in our country, the death penalty is unjust. Fine. We can have a conversation about that. Even if that's the case, you don't have to lie. Like, you don't have to omit information about why she was convicted and why her sentencing has been upheld. It is not based on this um, so-called coerced confession during her interrogation, which is what Sharon says so has said. Um, I responded to this in my Instagram stories. It's what many of these lawmakers have said in Texas. It's what the Innocence Project is saying. And it's what this person named Josh Dubin, who went on the Joe Rogan show a few months ago. He is an ambassador, advisor, legal advisor for the Innocence Project. And I just want to respond to a couple of clips because I think that this is pushing so much misinformation out there about this case. I just want to show you um, what a supposed expert in this case, um, is saying about it. So here's one clip. So she is the mother of 12 and is pregnant with twins and is accused of killing her child. 
Um, there's no physical evidence of any abuse whatsoever. Oh, my goodness. So this is what you keep hearing. And this part makes me so mad because it is injustice for the child who was murdered. It is injustice for Mariah. As we talked about, as I've talked about on Instagram, as I talked about with Jeff Leach, First, we have the paramedics, his sworn testimony, what he said in the trial. And this is according to transcripts that I can I can link you. This is the appeals decision in 2011 quoted from the transcripts of the original uh, of the original trial. The paramedic, he was the one to testify who said that when he showed up, um, found Mariah lying there dead. He said that Lucio, her mother, that her behavior was so out of the ordinary that she wasn't distressed, that she wasn't anywhere within arm's length of the child, that he said it was so strange that he wrote it down. And he wrote down in his notes that the reaction and the attitude, the posture of this mother who apparently called 911 because of the death of her child was so out of the ordinary from what he had seen that he noted it. And he said immediately that it was obvious that this, um, even though he wasn't the one to diagnose this, but that this seemed like a case of abuse. And then you have the ER doctor. You have an ER doctor who said that he had been working in this industry for 30 years and this was the worst case of a child abuse that he had ever seen bruises all over her body um, and a broken arm, an arm that had been broken for two to seven weeks without any treatment. So even if she did have some kind of blood disorder, by the way, which again is something that was made up by the Innocence Project later, it was not something that was um, noted in the beginning or found in the beginning. Like even if that were the case, that doesn't cause an untreated broken arm. It doesn't cause also what the coroner found, which were bite marks on her back. It doesn't cause um, bald patches on her head where her hair was ripped out from the roots. It doesn't cause the indentation of her mother's rings on her body. And during her confession, which was on tape, this investigation um, by the interrogators in the police department, Melissa Lucio, uncoerced, admitted to causing all of the bruises and all of the inner, uh, all of the injuries on her daughter's body. This was not; they didn't lead her to saying these things. You know why? You know how that obvious that is? Is because she said some very specific that I'll describe, and it's disturbing. Some very specific things about how she abused her daughter that she wouldn't have said, she wouldn't have just made up. Okay, so she said that she caused almost all of the bruises, almost all of the scratches, but not all of them on her daughter's on her daughter's body. She described a very disturbing situation where she caused the bite mark on her daughter's back. Other children were jumping around, they were frustrating her. And so for whatever reason, she took it out on her daughter by covering up her daughter's uh, mouth, Mariah, two years old, and bit her on the back out of frustration, out of anger. She said that she pinched her daughter's genitals. Is, how would you make something like that up if, you, if that wasn't something that really happened? And she said that she caused most of the bruising on Mariah, the pulling out the hair from the roots. The coroner said that this was an awful case of child abuse, that she obviously died um, based on some kind of trauma to the head. And people, the Innocence Project and Sharon says so all said, oh, well, you know, the autopsy, that's questionable because the interrogators, the investigators were there at the autopsy. That's not unusual. That actually happens a lot. There's no evidence at all that this, that the coroner, that the ER doctor, that the paramedic, what they were all colluding together to lie. 
These are medical professionals, and they all testified to this. The jury would have also seen the photos of the abuse that was inflicted on her. And no, this was not by the stepfather. Melissa Lucio admitted again on tape that Robert Alvarez, her boyfriend at the time, was not guilty of this. And so, look, we've got a case here where the jury saw the evidence, heard the evidence of child abuse. Her defense lawyer, Melissa Lucio's defense lawyer, admitted in court, hey, yes, she is uh, an abuser. She did abuse her child. She's a terrible mother, but she didn't strike the death blow. The jury didn't buy it. So to say that there was no evidence of abuse, that is insane. That's insane. That is not true. There was uh, much evidence of abuse. And not only that, um, but CPS, as corrupt as they are, they had a long history with Melissa Lucio. Um, in affidavits, there is uh, recordings of her neglect of her children, how she would test positive for cocaine. Some of her children even tested positive for cocaine. Mariah was taken away from her mother, as well as the other children in 2004, because of severe neglect that was obvious to CPS when they showed up. And so in 2007, um, Mariah and her other siblings were brought back to her mom in 2008. That is when she was murdered. And, and not only that, here's another piece of this that you'll hear in the Hulu documentary that you'll also hear from these Innocence Project people that, oh, there was no evidence. All the other children, they didn't get abused. And all the other children, they are supporting their mom. That's not actually true. So Celina Lucio, and she looks exactly like her mom. She has a TikTok account called Fifth of 14, which you should go look up yourself and look at these videos um, yourself. She has been making videos talking about how, yes, her mom absolutely did abuse Mariah. Now, she says that her mom wasn't physically abusive to any of the other children, but that she was abusive to Mariah, physically abusive to Mariah. She describes all kinds of abuse that I didn't know about because they're not in the court decisions, like trying to suffocate Mariah with a pillow. She remembers these things. And here's what also Salina said, that she was the only one of uh, the only... There were only a few siblings that actually lived with Melissa Lucio at the time that Mariah was murdered. Um, all of the other siblings that are supporting Melissa saying that, oh, she's not guilty. They didn't even live with Melissa at the time, but Salina did. And Salina is making these videos saying that she loves her mom. She doesn't want her mom to be executed, of course, but that her mom is absolutely guilty. And she claims that maybe her mom didn't mean to kill her, maybe, but she absolutely did abuse her and cause this. She believes that her mom is guilty. And she also claims that the Hulu documentary purposely excluded her from the documentary because she didn't say what she wanted to say. And she actually posts receipts of this conversation with the director of the Hulu documentary that really show that they didn't want Salina's voice. They didn't want her testimony because she believes that her mom is guilty. Same with another one of her siblings that was living with Mariah at the time. Um, and so there's so much more information about this factual information that is being omitted by the media, being omitted by the propaganda machine that is the Innocence Project, because they are simply anti-death penalty. They are not pro-innocence. And if you're anti-death penalty, just be that. That's fine. You can be anti-death penalty, but don't lie. The media is lying about this, just like they did the Julius Jones case. Sharon says so is 
intentionally or not, she is leaving out information about this um, that does give us an idea of why the jury reached the decision that they did, why the criminal appeals courts have reached the decision that they have to say that this is just an innocent mother who was doing the best that she can, that there was no evidence of abuse. That's just a lie. That's a lie. And let me show you. Let me just show you another one of these of this clip from the Joe Rogan podcast. It's just amazing. This is a person who is in this context is being a spokesperson for the Innocence Project who is trying to um, get Melissa off of death row and to say that she is innocent and didn't commit this crime. Listen to this. What are they accusing her? Killing her child. But if, of how? Um, I, th- I think it was I think it was manual strangulation. You can read about the case on the Innocence Project. Do they know what the kid actually died from? They know now, and her experts show that it was not. You have. I don't want to speak about the case in details without giving people a chance to read the details and decide from themselves, because getting behind something is not something you should do because somebody says it on a podcast. I, I encourage people to do their own research. And frankly, I don't know enough about the details of the nooks and crannies of the case. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So this person acting as a spokesperson who just a few minutes ago in this in, in this podcast, in this interview, said that she was innocent, that, you know, the crime wasn't committed. He doesn't even know. He doesn't know what the case is. Like, he doesn't even know the facts of the case. She was not accused of strangling her child. She was, the the child had blunt force trauma to the brain. She had bruises all over her internal organs. Again, the worst case of child abuse that this ER doctor had ever seen. She was not accused of strangling her child. And he realized he didn't know the details of the case. And so he just fell back on, oh, well, I don't want to be a person who tells you. Just a few minutes ago, he was trying to tell you exactly what to think. These people don't even know the details of the case who are arguing for her innocence. That's a big deal to potentially be upending justice for the murder of a child based on emotional propaganda. You don't even know the facts. That's a problem. That's a problem. And honestly, a lot of people that I've talked to about this don't know the facts of this. I had one exchange on Instagram and I wouldn't typically message these kinds of people back because like from the tone and the content of the message, I was like, okay, clearly this person doesn't actually know what they're talking about. But I saw we had some mutual, some mutual friends. And so I was like, okay, this is like a legitimate person. So let me go back and forth. And this person um, accused my side of only caring about the emotional side of the argument, just like dismissing the facts. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like the gaslighting and projection, it was just like so enraging to me. And I was sassier than I should have been probably. I re- there, was, whew, there were some things that I wanted to say, but I, I wanted to be like, okay, I got to just got to tell you this is the difference between your and your, but I didn't because I tried to stay with the task at hand and talk about, okay, actually the side that is missing the facts of this case is the side of the innocence project. The side that is saying that this crime didn't really happen, that she's completely innocent, that she's a victim of this. You're not looking at Salina's videos. You're not looking at what the appeals court decided and why they decided it and what the testimony of Uh, the expert witnesses said in the court. And look, you can look at 
the the other things. You can look at the other factors. I think that's fine. We should look at all sides of this. That's why I engaged with a lawmaker who is on the other uh, the other side of this. And I did listen to what he had to say. And it that's all well and good. All I'm bringing up is that there is a whole host of facts in so much context and content that is being left out by the media and by the left side, just like in the Julius Jones case. And even if you think, again, even if you think she shouldn't be executed, even if you think there are some sketchy things um, that went on with this particular case, I am willing to talk about that. What I'm not willing to be okay with is the lies, the omission of the information, the trying to paint this person, this Melissa Lucio, as an innocent victim and basically just disregarding Mariah, making up things like, oh, she wasn't abused at all. There's no evidence of abuse. She didn't have, no, this is just because this was a Latina woman, Melissa Lucio, and she was persecuted um, because of that. Look, everyone in Cameron County where this happened is Hispanic, like everyone. And so this was not a matter of discriminating against someone because of her race. That's, again, another propaganda tool by the Innocence Project to try to, you know, stir people's hearts. And the Innocence Project understands and really the other side of the story, the people propagating um, the talking points that they are, they understand most people operate from emotion. Most people operate not on facts, not on logic, not trying to um, really understand what's going on, not trying to dig into a case. They know that most people are lazy. Most people aren't going to ask questions. Most people aren't going to critically think. They just hear something. And I think, honestly, most people think, well, it doesn't affect me whether she's kept on death row or not. And, oh, it's not going to bring back Mariah if she's uh, if she is uh, if she's uh, executed. And so why should we why should we want this person? That's not justice, by the way. Justice is not about bringing a victim back. That's not how God defines justice in the Old Testament. And God created justice, whether you like that or not. Um, and so that's what I can't deal with. I can't deal with the dishonesty. That's what bothers me in all of this. Not even showing that, hey, this is a complicated case. And there are reasons why the jury and the judge believed her to be guilty. There are good arguments put forward. Like, it's the lies. That's what bothers me. And, you know, we were talking before this about what would I like to see happen then? Like, what would I like to be the result of all of this? Is it execution? Like, do I believe that she should be executed? Or do I believe that she should get a new trial at all? Because the the Court of Appeals did find, so there were nine arguments put forth by her lawyers saying, like, this is why she should um, why she should get a new trial. This is why her execution should be stayed. And the Criminal Court of Appeals found that the Lucio's lawyers' claims needed to be considered by a trial court. And um, those claims were, so one of the claims was that, but for the state's use of false testimony, no juror would have convicted her. So they claimed that the state used false testimony. Previous courts of appeals have said that's not true, but they say, the lawyers say that it is. Um, they also say previously unavailable scientific evidence would preclude her conviction. She is actually innocent, is another claim that they make. The state suppressed favorable material evidence in violation of Brady v. Maryland. Now, other courts of appeal have already looked at these arguments and said that these are not legitimate, substantiated arguments. But this time, this court of appeal said that they actually all these things mean that her case should be reconsidered. 
okay, I, I guess I'm okay with that outcome. I'm not like excited for her to be executed because one problem I do think that we have with execution in this country is that it's not consistent. It's up to like the prosecutor's discretion. So someone could have committed clearly a heinous murder and could not go to death, it could not be on death row, could not be executed, whereas someone else who committed a murder, but I don't know, maybe they only killed one person and they're getting executed, but the person who killed two people is not getting executed because it's just up to the prosecutor's discretion and it's up to their, basically their political ideology or how they're feeling that day or whether they have like an election coming up. So I do agree. There is a problem with the inconsistency. I have already done an episode on the death penalty and why I don't think that it is unjust per se, but it is absolutely a biblical prescription and command for murder. But there are plenty of good faith debates that we can have about execution in this country, I'm willing to have those. So it's really not about for me that I just like want her to be executed, uh, of course. Although, again, I do think that someone convicted of murder, that that is a just, uh, a just punishment. Um, and in one sense, I'm like, sure, she can just have, she can have a retrial. What's the harm in that? I think my issue is that propaganda is forcing this change. And that is not justice. That is not justice. A Hulu documentary and a left-wing organization and Texas state legislators and people in the media who are exclusively telling one side of the story, painting her as a victim, not at all talking about the long history with CPS, the long history of neglect, the physical evidence of abuse, the testimony of the medical professionals in court that show, that say that she was abused, the uncoerced confession of severe abuse by Melissa towards Mariah. All of that is being excluded from the conversation. And so that means that this person's punishment, the justice system, is actually being swayed by a lie, by deceit. That is a problem in principle for me, because that is not justice. That is mob justice. That is people who are lying, telling one side of the story, putting pressure um, on the political system, on the justice system to make a particular decision. That is not right in principle. Um, that you could see, like, let's think a little bit about all the different negative ways that that could possibly go, right? If the mob gets to decide someone's punishment based not on the truth, but on a lie. Now, I think it'd be one thing if the Innocence Project and everyone else trying to stay her execution, if they put all the facts out there, if they put the court transcripts out there, if they really laid it all out and told the truth about who Melissa Lucio is, her long history of abuse, and all the reasons why she was convicted of murder and why her case was upheld, and then argued, even th if this is all true, we still think that her execution should be stayed or she should get a new trial, and here's why, I would have respect for that. I would have plenty of respect for that. That's a conversation to be had. I'm willing to have that conversation. The line is what bothers me, not just in this case, but with Julius Jones, with several other cases. This is a trend. They pick a person who is a person of color. They create a narrative around this person that is not true. They leave out the facts. They leave out the context. They always make sure that there's plenty of time in between, you know, 10 to 15 
plus years in between now and the crime. So people really don't remember how they felt when it was first reported on. Also, the political scene has changed. The media scene has changed. And so the media isn't going to report the truth in an unbiased way. They're going to be progressive, unlike several years ago. But this is the formula that the Innocence Project puts forward and people are taken by it because people are always taken by social justice narratives. That is the part that bothers me. That's that's the machine, the social justice, criminal justice machine that bothers me, that is fueled by propaganda, manipulative emotionalism, and it doesn't actually care about the victims. No one's asking, like, what is justice for the victims? And it's also, it goes into the conversation about this erroneous idea that the only kind of justice is restorative justice, in which the person who committed the crime is restored to society or reconciled to society or reconciled to their victim. That's not the only form of justice. Some forms of justice are simply punitive. I mean, that's how God lays it out in the Old Testament. And that is what are basic rights in um, the Constitution and what are the principles of our laws are actually based on is the biblical, general biblical idea of justice. And so some punishment is simply punitive. But this whole social justice, criminal justice world Um, has really taken in a lot of Christians and robbed them of their discernment. Again, conversations, debates to be had about the death penalty in this country and whether or not she should get a new trial. The line really, really bothers me. And the left does this all the time. They can't, they know the reason why they lie about someone like Melissa Lucio is because they know that if they say, if they show the autopsy pictures, If they say what the ER doctor and the coroner and the paramedic say, if they play what she confessed in her interrogation, the very specific and disturbing history of abuse that she inflicted on Mariah, they know that if they show what Salina has said, which, by the way, Salina also said that her defense, that her mom's defense attorneys tried to manipulate her and her other sister into taking the blame for Mariah's bruises. This was before the Innocence Project came up with this whole edema line. They know that if they highlight those things, then you're not going to feel sympathy for this woman. Kim Kardashian's not going to say anything about it. And then um, they won't get the result that they want. It's really nasty stuff. That's not justice because justice can't be extricated from truth, right? Truth actually matters. And so I guess that's the result that I want to see is just truth. It's not that I am opposed to this person not being executed right now. I just think that we just need to be telling the truth. And I don't want mob justice. Do you? I don't want mob justice for anyone. And I think there needs to be more consistency in the punitive measures that we take so that we don't have to worry about someone committing the same crime and getting two different punishments for it. I do think that that's a problem. So that's kind of my 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 final thoughts for now on all of this. I probably have more to say on this because it just irks me to no end how many people are lying about this case and getting away with lying about this case. And they just, they don't care about little Mariah, who I believe, of course, by all the facts available, was brutally murdered. And it makes me, it just makes me really sad. The truth matters. Truth and love can't be extricated from each other. Truth and justice can never be separated. So that's why I keep talking about this, because it matters. People get mad at me when I talk about this, but... The truth hurts, unfortunately. All right. That's all I have time for today. This was long. I knew it was going to be long, but I had a million other things that I could talk about too, but I don't I don't have time to get into it. We'll have to talk more about it next week. Before I close this out, um, let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day. It happens to be one of my genuinely 
favorite sponsors because I use them every day and love them so much. And that's Adele Natural Cosmetics. Adele Natural Cosmetics is a family-run, holistic, handcrafted, and toxin-free cosmetic company where all of their products are made in the U.S. I love their facial cleanser. It's actually an oil-based facial cleanser, which just works better for my skin. I kind of have sensitive skin, but it's not, it's kind of balanced. It's not super oily or super dry, but I find with all of their products that my skin feels and looks really good, that I don't have breakouts. I sometimes in the summer or actually in the winter get some like dry skin and I just haven't had that since I started using them. I love their moisturizer. I use all their stuff every day. I truly love this company and they're good people. And as I already said, everything is made in the United States. So you can just feel so good about these ingredients, about supporting this company and about what you are putting on your body. It really works. I love using their products. They smell really good. They feel luxurious and they're all natural, which is awesome. Go to to Adele, that's A-D-E-L, naturalcosmetics.com. Enter promo code Allie for 25% off your first order. That's Adele, naturalcosmetics.com, promo code Allie. Adele, naturalcosmetics.com, code Allie. All right, guys, thank you so much as usual for listening. Hey, reminder, if you have not gotten your shirt that say raise a respectful ruckus or politics matter because policy matters because people matter, we will link the merch in the description of this episode. Check those out. I don't know if at this point you can get them for Mother's Day. Maybe they might still get there by Mother's Day if you want it for yourself or if you are a spouse or a son or daughter getting it for um, the mom or wife in your life, then you should go ahead and order that. You can use code ALLY10 for 10% off. Check that out. If you love this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That would mean so much. Thank you guys. I will see you guys back here on Monday.